Now, it's been, it's been on my radar for a long, long time that social media is significantly changing the way we understand and do relationships. Whether you're on it or not, I think it's changing the entire culture of how we relate to each other. And I don't want to speak about social media tonight. I want to talk about how the Bible helps us understand friendship and be friends and, and move into that space. But as we do, we've got a really interesting video that I think highlights that, that I'd like to, um, to play for you now, for you to um, enjoy. Thanks, Rach. It's interesting, hey, like our lives are getting um, ran and influenced, and not just by um, social media, but the way it's changing the way we are friends, that we understand friendship, that we conduct ourselves in that. And I think more often than not, we engage with relationships out of what we can get from them. I mean, in this video, it's the number of likes, but what we can gain from them. And it permeates so deeply. In, in fact, if we look at marriages, marriages fall apart because people say, I'm not getting my needs met. But that's actually not why you should get married at all. Uh, people unfriend each other or others on social media because they have a different opinion or there's unresolved hurt that they don't want to face or they get bored or they feel like it's just time for a new change of friends. But what does a platform that enables this to happen do to the way we think about friendships? We sometimes tell one story to one friend who we want to like us and then we tell a different story about the same thing to another friend because we want them to like us and we live with these two alternate stories that are incomparable uh, they're, they're contradictory they're different about the same thing and yet we do it because it's really important that person likes me this version of me and it's really important this person likes this version of me we even categorize friendships that term bff best friend forever is about what a, a, a week a week old and then you get a new BFF, a new best friend forever. We categorise friendships based on how much they help us and how efficient they are to us and how effective and how much we're helped by that. But what's fascinating is you don't see any of that mirrored in the way Jesus does relationships. The way he does friendships is completely different. Now, Jesus, I reckon, was the most friendly, sociable, caring, generous, secure, and likely confident person who has ever lived. But the way he engaged in and the way he thought about friends was very different to the way we've been molded to think about friendships and friends. So what did Jesus know about friendships that I don't that can change my life if I take hold of? What can he offer me? What can he offer us in friendship that we're currently not getting that can change our lives? They're the two questions I kind of want to delve into and wrestle. And I, and I want to start with a kind of a personal um, experience. Uh, quite a while ago, I, um, I found myself really hurt um, from a relationship with a guy or a friendship though, with a guy that I've been in. Um, and what had happened is there was, there was a pattern that began to develop that I permitted, that I kind of played my part in. That wasn't a necessarily healthy um, pattern, but it ended up me thinking that we were friends and this guy thinking that I was someone who could help him when he was stuck. And then when he wasn't stuck, he'd move on to other friendships, right? So there was a misbalance in the relationship that I didn't get for a way, for a while into the friendship. Um, until a couple of things happened that left me quite hurt. Now, it was my fault. Uh, when I look back at that, I go, oh, there's a bunch of things I just, I should have realized and thought um, that never crossed my mind. So it was my fault. 
But when I'm in my daily prayer time, my daily chair time with God, and I'm talking or thinking through this stuff, God speaks to me and God said something that I'd never, ever contemplated before. It was the most basic of thoughts that I'm going to give you in just a minute. But it was something that I'm like, huh, that is life-changing. That is game-changing. That changes everything. In fact, it freed me from this dynamic I was caught up in immediately. It changed everything. It, it transformed the way I see people, the way I understand friendships. And, and the coolest part about it was it drew me closer to God. Or from a word from God. I didn't even have to do anything. That's how cool it was. It was just like, oh, wow, that shifts anything. Do you want to know what it was? Yeah? Okay, you might want to write this down. It's, it's about 400 words. So it's going to take the rest of our time. No, I'm kidding. Okay, there's a sentence. Here it is. It matters more what kind of friend you are than what kind of friends you have. It matters more what kind of friend you are than what kind of friends you have. God's actual words to me were a question. The question was this. Why do you care more about what you're getting from your friendships than what you're giving to them? Why do you care more about what you're getting from your friendships than what you're giving to them? And my response to God was, that is a very good question. (sighs) Why? Maybe I should... Think about this whole friendship thing differently. You see, to take on that perspective means we need to let go of something else. And it's actually a well-known, a well-held Christian belief. And so we're actually, if we take on this understanding of friendships that we'll dive into and sort of see how Jesus understood it, it means forsaking comfortable space, space that we're all comfortable with. And and I found an expression or example of this this week. I was just searching some stuff and I found uh, this Christian website that did something very, very weird. Now, I say weird and I explain what happened. I think it's weird because of the space I'd been in preparing this message and thinking about friendships differently, right, for for quite some time. Um, And and I think it's weird. Now, I'm going to tell you what it is and you can tell me if it's weird or I'm weird, okay? And you can tell me if I'm weird. That's fine. I'm kind of used to that. So what happened is this article, it cited all these Bible verses um, that you should have supporting you in your expectation of what to expect from a friend. So it would say, the Bible says this, therefore you should expect your friends to be kind. The Bible says this, you should expect your friends to be patient. You should expect your friends to be forgiving, right? So that was the whole article all the way through to this bit, which I couldn't let go. This is, so this, is, this is a direct quote, copy and paste from the article. This is what it says. Take a good look at your friends and analyse their actions. If you think one of your friendships may be toxic, you can attempt to test their love and loyalty over a period of time by doing the following. You ready for this? It's going to blow your minds. Here it is. Stop, it's dot points. Stop buying them groceries. Stop buying them gifts. Stop hanging out with them. Stop lending them money. Stop liking and commenting on their social media pages. Stop giving them rides to work, school to movies. Stop answering their phone calls. Stop replying to their messages. Love will pass the test of time and many trials. So if they are truly loving, loyal friends, they will not be offended for too long. (laughs) Not my experience. Instead... They will look for opportunities to express their love and keep the friendship going if they're a good friend. 
So the author's rationale, right? It, it, the author's rationale is if you withhold love, you'll see who your true friends are because they'll love you back. Now, is that weird? It's not just me, right? That's like, huh? And that's all direct quote. Didn't change a word of it. Now, here's the question. I want you just to turn to the person next to you, have a chat about this just for 30 seconds. Good luck, Paul. <laughs> um, the Paul's for the recording. Paul's not sitting next to anyone. Okay. Um, here's the question. What do you think Jesus would say to that? What would Jesus' response be to that? Have 30 seconds. Have a chat. All right. Uh, the thoughts, responses? What did, you, what did you come up with? Just quickly? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a completely. That's yeah. testing. That's just so self centered. Yep. Yep. So self centered. Yep. Any others? Any other thoughts? Insights? Pardon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Any others? We're leaning in rather than pulling back, yeah. Would Jesus say, why do you care more about what you're getting from friendships rather than what you're giving to them? Or maybe Jesus would say something that he's already said. In John 15, 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I, Jesus never stops. He's never stopped buying people groceries or hanging out with them or giving them rights to work or school or the movies or answering their calls or replying to their messages. He's never stopped. He's never put the pause button on that. He's never withdrawn from that. In fact, he's aggressively advancing toward people constantly. My command is this, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Friendship is foremost about us offering love. It's not about what you get back or what somebody chooses to do with that love. And so profound and far-reaching should your love might be that it might culminate in saying you can have everything because I've got everything I need in God, but you can have everything because I'm committed to you because that's what love is. Love is a commitment. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down their lives, one of their friends. Jesus is saying, apply, apply to your friendships the same love I apply to you. And then he drops the mic and he walks away and everyone freaks out and goes, that is so difficult. How do we do that? Well, Jesus does that. He lives that way. So, so there is something of God that we need within us to be able to do that. And then Jesus says, throws this kind of cat amongst the pigeons. He says, you are my friends if, if you do what I command that's not a great friendship statement, is it? Can you imagine that, saying that to people? Oh, we can be friends if you do everything I say. Like, that'll work really well. I'd like a few friends like that, actually. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. So is Jesus saying that? It doesn't make any sense. It's contradictory to everything he's saying. But when we jump to that conclusion, we fail to miss a key clue. What is it that he demands? What is it that he commands? He just said it. My command is this. Love others as I have loved you. Live outwardly. Be committed to those whom you can gain nothing from. Serve, give, pour yourself out for them. And if you do this, you'll discover the friendship of God in just such a powerful and profound way. You'll go, oh, 
This is what it means for me to be friends with God. See, the more you love others, the hungrier you become for Jesus' friendship. And you know that. You know that when you give and give and give and you feel empty and it's not coming back, you're like, oh, I'm just so in need of love or appreciation or friendship. And that's where God wants us because he's like, yeah, I'm here. Like, yeah, that's what friendship looks like. Let me love you. Let me pour into you. Let me give to you. So Jesus, as he's explaining this to his disciples on the last time they're together before the cross, he says, I no longer call you servants. This is verse 15. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. See, Jesus' whole approach to friendship is about giving and not gaining. It's all about what he can give and not get. And Jesus understood that if you love others, if your friendship is about giving and not getting, your experience of Jesus' friendship will be deeper. See, Jesus defined friendship based on what he gave rather than what he received. For Jesus, a friend, and this is crazy, right? A friend was someone who he had the opportunity to pass on to what he got from God. That's what he says there. It says, um, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I've made known to you. So he's like, a friend is someone I can give what God has given to me. Not a friend is someone who does this for me or is this way toward me or helps me with this, but someone I extend myself to. That is a radical way to look at friendships. In this day and age, it is a tough way to look at friendships. The more I give to others what God has given to me, the more love I give to others, the more I increase the experience I can have of Jesus' friendships. I never realized this until I started to trust it. And it's true. It's scary true, but it requires us to trust God on what he says. That's the tough bit. That's the leap. See, it's so easy to spend our lives being too dependent on the love we search for in other friendships instead of the love God has already given to us. It's too easy for us to spend our whole lives going, I wish people would love me more and miss that we are loved more than we could ever fathom and wrap our minds around by God if we would just stop and realise that. The love God has given us is expressed in two important ways. And both are incredibly profound and life-changing. And the first is the cross. The evidence of God's friendship toward us is the cross. The cross sits in the centre of Christianity. Without the cross, we have nothing. With the cross, we have everything. Jesus was hung on a cross because he was a threat to the Roman Empire. But on that cross, he altered history. He changed everything. You see, on the cross, God not only showed us his friendship and the depth of his love, he actioned it. He cashed it in. He made it count. He says, it's real. If you ever doubt it, just look what I did for you. God faced and answered our death with his power so that we would know the incredible power of his love. And the cross sort of stands in the centre of history as this reminder for us to look back on and go, ah, that's what the friendship of God looks like. That's what the friendship of God looks like. See, when Jesus hung on that cross, Jesus exhausted death of its power so that our future, if we trust in Jesus, is free from death. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Well, Jesus told us earlier, 
He said in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. That's why God did it. Because he loves us so much that he wants us to be benefit, beneficiaries of his love. He wants us to be benefited because of his love. And I've been reading a book called The, um, the Tattoo of Auschwitz. Has anyone read that? This, this, it's, it's a, it's, I got told the other day, I just found it on Audible. I've listened to it twice. It's an amazing book. It's a, sto- it's a true story um, of a man who went through the, the war camps of Auschwitz in the, in the Second World War. And he writes his story so that no more, the, the, that travesty would never, ever happen again. Um, and in it, he's the tattooviera, which is the, the man who writes the tattoos on every prisoner's arm. He's a Jew and he's got his own tattoo, but he gets this job. Um, just before he gets the job... Um, what happens is he falls ill and he gets so sick that they think he's dead and the guards come in and drag him off his bed and they throw him on what was called the death cart. And the death cart was where they just put the bodies of people that were gone to carry them away and get them out of the camp. And so he's carried out there and he was still alive, although very close to death. And as he's dumped on the truck, one of his mates, Aaron, and Aaron he bumped into on the, the train ride to the camp. And Aaron seems this guy who's quite uh, nervous and, and not sure. Um, and Lale, who's the, the character who falls sick, Lale is just this rock of confidence. And he's just, he says, you don't need to worry and just walks with him. Lale gets sick and Aaron sees that Lale is sick on the death cart. And Aaron risks his life and runs to Lale and says to the guards, pleads with the guards, let me have him. We'll care for him and look after him. He will be strong again. He'll be able to work in the camp. He won't be a, a burden on you. And the guards let Aaron take Lale back off the track, off the car, and take him um, into the quarters. And over the next week, Aaron and a few of the other friends start to look after Lale and nurse him back to health. And so they couldn't get, can't get medicine, obviously, but they give him bread and water and um, manage his fevers. And he slowly regains strength. And in the process of doing this, these men have to risk life and limb in order to get the resources needed for Lale. And on one attempt, Aaron is risking his life and he's caught by the guards. And he's, um, uh, he is arrested, or he was already arrested, but he, he was taken captive and taken away and never seen again. Gone. And so Lale, seven days later, comes to consciousness and gets told, he asks these questions of what happened to me and how did it work? And they said, oh, Aaron saved your life. He, he risked his life to go out. And they're talking all about his recovery. And then Lale says, where is Aaron? And they break the news to him that Aaron's gone that Aaron's actually sacrificed his life for Lale's life. And he's devastated. His world is turned upside down, as you can imagine. And he he vows, he he vows in that moment, he says, I'm going to survive this camp, which he does. And I'm going to make sure this atrocity never happens to anybody else. And I'm going to live a worthwhile life. The sacrifice of one man who loved so deeply gives another his freedom. That's how God's friendship works toward us. The sacrifice of one man who loves us so deeply gives us our freedom. It gives us the love that we so yearn for. So first of all, when we go, what does the friendship of God look like? We look to the cross. We look to the cross. We see what God has done. We see what we do not deserve. And we give in to God's love. That's the first expression of his love. It's incredible. It's profound and it's life-changing. And the second one is in this room. It's crazy, right? Okay, so take a, take a moment, have a look around. Have a look around. Okay, don't look at the signs. Don't look at the chairs or the carpet. It's us, right? It's each of us. It's the church. God has given 
you each and me, the church, to ensure that you know you're loved by God. See, church isn't about a sermon and singing that we'll do shortly and an hour on Sunday. That's not the church. That's expression of what happens when the people of God come together and want to press into God. But church is the people of God. It's, it's us. It's, it's those of our family that aren't able to be here today. We are the church. The church is the people of God who are securely loved by God. And so they can love each other unconditionally. See, we don't need to worry about ourselves. God's got us. God's got our back. We can be vulnerable and trust with each other. We can be giving and caring and loving because we know we lose nothing in that. We gain everything because of who God is because we're all in this together. So the spirit living in us draws us toward each other to love and to pray and to care and to share meals and to help each other out and invite each other into our lives and to turn up and to be for each other. The church, you, we, me, us, the church is the refuge where friendship belongs to all, from all. See, we are God's gift to each other. You are God's gift to each other. That's why turning up is important. That's why showing up is important because it's very difficult to be those things if you're not here. It's very difficult. That's why caring for each other is really important. You are God's expression of love toward each other. God needs you to show others how much he loves them by the expression of love you give because you are an image bearer of the king, right? You're more than just you. You've taken on something glamorous and wonderful and glorious when you became a Christian to offer to others that they might know that God loves them by the way you love them. See, the church was born with this idea right from its inception on day dot. This was the first gathering of Christians. They met together. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They didn't know each other. And they found friendship with one another that would rock the world. And when they started meeting together, it says in Acts 2 verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds of all that were in the church as they had need. So there was this profound move of the spirit that they went, oh gosh, I don't understand it, but I want to be part of it. And some people were wealthy and they sold what they had to enable those who had nothing to be, have their needs met and feel like, ah, oh, someone, someone loves me. And their response back would have been a response of love. And so you had this wonderful community that looked different to any other community anywhere. So the people who came together in the first church were filled with God's spirit and they said, we can give and we can live outwardly. We don't need to worry about ourselves as God will look after us because of what he did on the cross and what he's doing through his church right now. And so powerful was the Holy Spirit that day. So powerful is the Holy Spirit today that they could trust God. They could go, this is crazy and it's never been done before. It's unheard of. It's ridiculous. It's illogical. But God said, so we can trust God. And in trusting God, they shared what they had with each other and no one was in need. And that community, God then offered to the world he then said, all that you're lacking, you can find in me as I dwell in this community. Come get it. It became so appealing to people because people went, what? You can, friendships can be like that? I want to participate in that. I don't want to be part of that. Are people who belong to each other and to God? That's who villages, God has called village to be. That's, that's who we 
are called to be. So that we can offer to those who don't have anything the friendship of God. And that God transforms them in that process. Now we're not great at this. But we're not as bad as we used to be. Like we're on the right trajectory. But it starts with you, it starts with me, it starts with something small and it starts now. It starts with that offering of ourselves. And we go, and I know we go, oh, hang on, I'm going to hit the brakes a little bit. It's too risky. Like it's just, it's risky because we've all been hurt previously in our lives by loving too much or by trusting too much or giving too much. We've been hurt by relationships going wrong and we, sometimes we don't even know where they went wrong or why they went wrong or what's happened. So we go, how do I, I've got all this baggage. We've all been hurt by be putting an invite out there that's, that's either been ignored or rejected or replaced by a better offer. It's miserable, but it's a common experience we've all had. That is not the failing of the church. That's the frailty of human experience. It's the frailty of human experience. But what if we were to start trusting God more than ourselves? What if we went, ah, yep, I carry that pain, but what if God is calling me something more wonderful that we shouldn't let this pain stop? And and what if we, we start trusting his desires for us to be the community that the world needs rather than in our own vulnerabilities where we get scared of doing those things. Then God working in us through what he did on the cross will slowly transform us into the community we long to be a part of. To really go, this is belonging to God and to each other. How could others live without this? See, it matters what kind of friend we are more than the kinds of friends we have. I think to move toward this, we need to pray. We need God's power. So let's pray. God, first of all, we pray for your forgiveness. We ask that you would forgive us for times when we have been too wary of getting hurt, too too wanting to preserve ourselves, We've clung to the wrong things. We've put too much trust in relationships and not enough in you. God, we're sorry. And we want to live as you lived, understanding relationships, secure in the love of God for you, that you might offer yourself fully and that we might belong to a people who have the same heart that we might have our relational needs met by one another and by you as we live outwardly for your sake, that people might see your cross, might see your friendship, might respond to you. And so, God, we need you to heal us. By the work of your spirit in us, heal us and mend us. Tend to our wounds that may be gaping open. Heal those bruises and knocks we've copped along the way. Satisfy the unanswered questions we still have about friendships that can plague us, God. You've called us to be a new creation, to wear new clothes, to walk in a different way 
to speak in a different way, to be in a different way, to have our minds transformed, Lord. And that is what we pray by the power of your spirit would take place in our lives now. Transform us and call us forward, Lord. That we might be empowered by your Holy Spirit to risk what we never would have dreamed risking, but we can because you have us. And that that risk might be a wonderful witness to this world. That people would see the depth of your love for them. They would be invited into it. They would be encouraged into it and coaxed into it and find their belonging in you and with us. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your love that never ends, that's never limited by condition, that is ours always. And may we rely more and more on it as we live outwardly, loving those you bring across our paths. We pray this in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.